Thank you for joining us on today's episode. I'm Kelly Ann Winget, founder and CEO of Alternative Wealth Partners. As a vocal advocate for financial literacy and inclusive access to wealth, we're excited to bring you today's episode featuring a deeply needed conversation with Sally Krawcheck of Elevest. Like Sally, myself and my firm are mission-driven, and that mission is to make a seemingly complicated world of finance accessible. Sally says it best, nothing bad happens when more money is in the hands of more women. If you'd like to join our community of people getting more money into the hands of more women, please sign up at www.alternativewealthpartners.com. so much for coming. First of all, thank you to Soul House and Ruggie for letting us do this amazing event and to share some of our world with our Soul House members and friends of LFS and Control Default. I'm Karen Moon, and Control Default is a podcast and live event series which explores the blueprint for our future operating system. So we believe that the root cause of society's problems have to do with messed up incentive structures. And you can think about every different industry where something just doesn't fit the people it's supposed to serve. So our intent is to interview thought leaders in the industry across sustainability, social impact, Web3, healthcare, education, and also in FinTech. And so we're really excited to be here with Sally Krawcheck and um, Rachel. Hi, I'm Rachel Voss. I'm co-hosting this podcast with Karen Moon. We're both CEOs of companies that are trying to flip the script and change operating systems in our own industries. Karen with investing and myself with community development and real estate. And so the idea is we each figured out that having access is really important to creating new opportunities. And not having access is actually cutting our economy off from growth in a lot of ways. And that there are ways to incentivize both better behavior, but also better results at the same time. And it just creates more opportunity for everybody. So what we decided to do, we started out just having these conversations, I think, out of pure intellectual curiosity, because we're fascinated by pioneers in different industries that were really flipping the script and changing the game and doing it in a way that was actually better for everybody. And so we started out just wanting to talk to people who were doing this, and then we thought maybe everybody else might want to listen to these conversations too. So the reason we're inviting you guys today, and we'll continue to invite you throughout our series of conversations, is because we want to all participate in the community of watching these pioneers as they change the game and build a better world for the future. So Sally, I have known about you for a lot longer than you've known about me. <laughs> I was a woman on okay. <laughs> I was on Wall Street about over a decade ago and had this vision of you as the young woman standing in front of the bull, you know, the one charging against society's expectations. And I still think of you that way today. And it's such a pleasure to be here with you. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about your past and all of the different experiences you have from being a woman in the South, being a woman in finance, to being the most, one of the most honest people in finance, and how you have been that steadfast woman charging the bull throughout the years. Well, thank you. Karen, Rachel, thank you for hosting us and having us. Thank you to everyone being here. And for those who are listening, it is a rainy, chilly Monday night. And so I was expecting to show up and see three of us here, those of us who have to be here, but I'm so pleased to have, to gather everybody and to be together. So I could go on with my career for forever. I cannot believe that I have been able to have the experiences that I've had and be in the rooms that I've been in, do the things that I've done. I think the best way for me to describe 
myself and the success I've had and the failures I've had is I am a natural contrarian. When I was 26 years old in investment banking at Solomon Brothers, and I looked up and realized I was the senior woman in the department, I recognized that if I was going to say the same things, do the same analyses, be the same way as everyone else, my chances of success were approximately 0%. And so that I had to step outside of the norm and see things differently than other people had seen them. So an example, when I became a research analyst, my very first research report was on a life insurance company that was quickly growing its lending business. All the other analysts looked at it and said, they're growing quickly. I, with the same information, the same data, looked at the credit ratios and lagged some of the ratios and said, ah, they're growing quickly because their credit is deteriorating and they're making loans that other people won't. They're going to crash. And I entitled my very first piece of research, Woe Nelly, American General. The company was furious. And sure enough, they crashed about two months later. And so I always, sell-side research analyst, that's, that was me. I always thought, if I'm not going to ever write up the quarter, and I'm never going to have a market perform. Or if I do, I'm not going to say anything, because that means I have nothing to add. And so when I became director of research at Bernstein, I stepped outside the norm and took us out of the conflicted investment banking business. Analysts then were both serving investing clients and corporate clients. I said, that is a conflict. Let's take out, let's pull them out of there. Let's give up millions of dollars of revenue. The internet bubble burst. All the other Wall Street firms were found to have conflicts. Sanford Bernstein, my company, our revenue went like this, and I was on the cover of Fortune magazine as a last honest analyst. So I could go on, and I often do, but that got me in a series of just improbable events to be offered a job over at Citigroup to turn around the research business and run Smith Barney. So I went from running 386 people at Sanford Bernstein on Wednesday to something like 40,000 on a Thursday. Had the next moment when during the subprime crisis, we had missold products to our clients and I was the only senior exec that partially reimbursed clients for missold products. We'd said they were low risk, they were high risk. For that, I got the good time of losing my job because I took on the CEO at the board. Went on to run Merrill Lynch, turn it around after Bank of America bought it. Once again, got the thing turned around, lost my job. So I do have a, a world record that, Rachel, I wish you brought up, which is... <laughs> it was my next question. I'm the only woman to have been fired on the front page of the Wall Street Journal twice, which I think of as the flip side to my success, that as I stepped outside the norm, way outside the norm, had different strategies, different approaches, sometimes they worked and I got to the top, and sometimes they didn't. So I think this is such a timely conversation given the economic climate. Let's take a step back. Tell us about LFS. And I'm going to brag a little bit for you since you didn't do it so much. But I mean, you were the CEO. You ran Private Wealth at how many companies now? Like several. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember because there were too many. So right. just tell me how many and then just we could two. just go to the it just was two. Only Okay, two. but there was like, but you had leadership roles at so many. Yeah. And so when we think about breaking the glass ceiling, I think you're the epitome in so many people especially women in the industry, really look to you because we haven't had so many role models. So tell us, what was the premise behind Elevest? What is Elevest? 
And what is the problem you're looking to solve? Thank you for asking me about my favorite subject and topic. (laughs) Raise your hand if you can think of something bad that happens when women have more money. And then now that nobody's raised their hand, go ahead and yell out all the bad things that happen when women have more money. There is nothing. In fact, we all know the research that if you want to moderate a society, improve a society, you get more money in the hands of women. There's research about how when women have wealth, 90 cents of the dollar goes to their families, their communities, whereas for men, it's closer to 10 cents in the dollar. It may or may not surprise you to hear that while we talk about the gender pay gap in the United States, there's a gender wealth gap, whereas the pay gap, women earn 80 cents, 82 cents to a white man's dollar. The wealth gap is 32 cents, been going backwards, and for black women, it's a penny. And I don't think it's that far from, ah, there's this huge wealth gap and it's going in the wrong direction, to get to a society that is angry, where women's rights are being stripped away, where a lot of folks feel like we are really going in the wrong direction. I don't think anybody would say our society is becoming fairer and more moderate. So that's the genesis of Ellevest. After I left or was invited to leave Bank of America running Merrill Lynch, (laughs) trying to be accurate, a lot of folks said to me, you should start an investing platform or a financial services platform for women. And my response is, why would I do that? I don't need to go to some dumbed-down fintech for women and drink Chardonnay, although I love Chardonnay, and talk stocks, which is frankly how I'd been socialized, that for women, we all have, is inferior. And then one morning, I was putting on the old mascara, and it hit me that we have this gender wealth gap, that the retirement savings shortfall in this country is a gender, it's a woman's issue. And that there are lots of folks working on the pay gap But as I went through the numbers, I realized that women give up hundreds of thousands for some, millions for others of wealth over the course of their lives because they don't invest as much of their wealth as men do. Women leave a majority of their wealth in cash. Men tend to invest more. Wall Street knows this. In fact, when I was running Merrill Lynch, I knew that there was perfect product market fit between white men and their financial advisor. They trust him more than they trust their doctor. And that when that marriage broke up, either because he passed away or they got divorced, women leave that financial advisor 80 to 90% of the time over the next year. No product market fit. The industry's point of view, oh, women are risk averse. They're not good with money. They need more financial education. LFS point of view, an industry where 98% of mutual fund dollars are managed by men, 99% of investment dollars are managed at companies owned by men, 86% of financial advisors are men. Maybe, just maybe, no one built a wealth tech company centered on women. So Ellevest is the number one, the only, wealth tech company built by women for women to help her invest from her first dollar through to tens of millions in our private wealth, very often in other women. We believe that diversity is a true advantage. We believe that investing in women has superior returns. We believe that women should be investing in a way that builds wealth over their lifetimes. Thank you. And 
I'm interested to hear a little bit more about this notion that women have really been part of the investing yeah. population, but we know that women are the majority of the consumer yeah. purchasing population. Do you think that there's an inverse relationship between those, and how do they work together? It's an interesting question. So to back up for all we talk about, women need to be empowered, right, and need to be you-go-girl. Let's be perfectly clear. We have a ton of power. We're just not using it yet fully. So we are the majority of the workforce. We direct 80 to 85% of consumer spending, and we have trillions of dollars of investable assets, much of which, again, is in cash. If we decided tomorrow to direct all of that in a certain way, we could change this country. Not enough information, not enough of a catalyst yet, all kinds of different reasons. But you're right. Maybe because we've been the treasurer of the home, these are the groceries we buy, this is the et cetera, et cetera, we haven't been the CFO. And so in most homes today, in which a man and a woman are heading the household together, the vast majority, the man drives the investing decisions. I think of it a little differently. I think of it as what sports was like when I was growing up, certainly in the South, but that my choice was volleyball or cheerleading. I went for the cheerleading all day long. The cute skirt and the opportunity to date the quarterback of the football team, which I did, by the way. But it was this view in that day and age that being athletic was unfeminine. It was unattractive. And along came the Williams sisters. Venus is actually an investor in Elevest. Along came Billy Joe, like along came U.S. soccer. And for all of us today, being physically fit, athletic, and active is part of a well-lived life. But money is still something he does, something that the patriarchy, if I could, messages to us that it's unattractive to want money, that it's cute to be bad with money. So today, 90% of articles to women on money are negative. About three quarters tell her she's a spendthrift. Don't buy the latte, don't have the facial, Carrie Bradshaw bought all the shoes, couldn't afford the apartment. None of it's, hey, forget those structural issues over there that you're making less money. It's your fault in some way. The flip side is 75% of articles to men about money are about expansion and growth and positivity. And so for women, money is scarcity. And for men, money is a sense of power. But for women, it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him being great with money or, God forbid, asking for more money or, for goodness sake, investing. Those things are something that he does, not that we are modeled to do. Not every woman by any means, but this is something that's still pervasive in our culture. And, of course, when you think about this patriarchal perspective that if men some years ago said, how do we keep women from having real power? Ah, let's convince her it's cute to be bad with money then let's keep the Wall Street jobs for ourselves, which is the capital allocation, venture capital jobs for ourselves, which is capital allocation, which is the heartbeat of our economy. One caveat and disclosure, I should have mentioned this, I'm an LFS, I'm an investor in LFS and actually brought a number of investors into LFS. But it's not because it's something we should do or it's impact related. I actually think it's going to make a lot of money. So I'd actually like to sure get into so. <laughs> why. And also we have male allies in the room and we like all genders, all ways of identification. It's all good. Why women and why is it one of the most underserved and attractive demographics 
for this industry? Because actually, when we look at where the trend's going, it's growing. There, there's no doubt. Women already have trillions of dollars of money and will get even more. We live six to eight years longer than our spouse. And sorry, I, don't, I do not know why everybody started laughing at that. I'm sorry, sir. I did not. That was not me. Okay, that was them. But women are getting more and more money. And so the trend is clear. Women also are on the march. You know, if you look at the percent of college graduates, now it's 55, 60% women. Graduate school is 60 plus percent women. So women are really on the march. So why do we think it's attractive? I don't know. It's half the population. I don't know. It's incredibly underserved. You know, I don't know. Everybody who's tried it has not been able to get it figured out. It was really seen as marketing initiatives from the big banks of our product is great. Let's just market it and tell women to change. And we said what we think the trick is going to be is let's change the underlying product. And I'll give you one example, which is in their digital offering, we take into account gender doesn't matter that much if you're a man, but if you're a woman who earns less, salary peaks sooner, takes more career breaks, and lives longer, if we model you as average as a man, you risk running out of money. And so we were the first who said, we're going to change the underlying product over on the private wealth side. What we heard again and again from women is, I want to invest for impact in other women. Yeah, it's, it's great to do it in public equities where you invest more in women on the board, invest less in companies that aren't advancing women. But what wealthy women, successful women told us again and again is I want to invest for real impact. I want to get money to an entrepreneur, woman entrepreneur in Central America, I want to get working capital to small business owners there. I want to invest in women-run startups. I want to invest in fixing up grade B real estate in the Carolinas in a sustainable way and rent those to families in transition. I want to get real money in the hands of real women and I'm not able to do it. So I'm going to drill down into this little bit and I'm going to share some stats around the target market and I want Sally and Rachel to go into actually the product market fit is really interesting here. So when we think about the market, women control $5 trillion of wealth and represent 45% of America's millionaires. They will control two-thirds of U.S. wealth by 2030 and are expected to inherit $29 trillion of wealth over the next 40 years. It's not cute, it's money, it's business, right? The average woman keeps 75% of her portfolio in cash and 67% feel misunderstood by financial advisors. 90% of women control their own money at some point in their lives. By the way, this is all from the LFS deck. But these are real things. This is a growing market, but no one's attracted. And you guys are, have a very specific product. And so talk to me about the digital product and then yeah. private wealth. Rachel here worked at Morgan Stanley Private Wealth. I, you're the enemy. My first job was at <laughs> Goldman and they're like, oh yeah, one day when you have a minimum of $10 million, you can join our private wealth. Then how do the rest of us yeah. start yeah. and where do you get started? So what is LFS doing on both sides of the equation? Well, that's why it was important for us to do it from the beginning for her, as I say, from college to crypt. And for those women who aren't ready to invest, providing all kinds of education for her. How do you get your student loan debt paid off? How do you do a budget? Providing then a digital experience for those who are starting to invest, 
pulling in a certified financial planner when she has more complex needs and needs that. Having a full-time financial advisor, private wealth advisor, there are a few here tonight who've come from the big firms who have experience in working with women, complex needs, their families, et cetera, so that we serve all the way from that first dollar through to, in some cases, women-run family offices. So we've got the experience in the background. The numbers are so huge, why don't the big guys go after it? The answer is they have. And as mentioned before, they've gone after it as marketing initiatives as opposed to really changing what's underlying. And it probably isn't far to get from there to, well, in an industry where, as mentioned, the vast majority of the leadership are men, you don't have a lot of what you probably need a woman to do this. And if you don't have a lot of senior women in finance, or you don't have a ton of senior women in tech, and you don't have a ton of women who go out and raise the capital that's needed for it. So everything has to line up pretty well for the company to work. And frankly, when I was thinking about Elevest, I was like, that sounds really hard. I had to get the tech right and the finance right. And you probably have to get the marketing right. You got to build a big community. You got to raise a lot of venture money. Who's stupid enough to try to do that? <laughs> and then I looked around and realized there weren't a lot of other folks who were stupid enough or hard-headed enough to do it. So I also was reading one of your articles that you had posted on the LFS website, and I think it's interesting. You name a lot of stats, Karen, about how the pipeline for women and money is growing. It's going to be so huge. We're going to have two-thirds of it in by 2030, et cetera, et cetera. But you've also mentioned that it really is not the case that this trend is actually happening. And in a lot of cases, the fact that we're predicting it is a little bit dangerous because we keep predicting this trend of women owning the world. And it just, as you've mentioned, it's being set back. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts about where you can see those things going wrong. And also, what has the pandemic revealed to you about all of those layers that could go wrong? Rachel, you're making a great point. It is not inevitable. And I see written again and again with all the women coming out of college, it's inevitable. Yet today, there's a recent research report uh, coming out of Lean In and McKinsey saying that for every woman who's being promoted in senior leadership, two are leaving. At the same time, that all this positive is happening and women are gaining more money, you see reproductive rights being rolled back. Um, and so it is absolutely not inevitable that this march is going to happen. And the pandemic really knocked us back. It knocked us back if we were essential workers, where women at a greater rate had to go into the communities and risk their health. More women are in the service industry, so lost jobs at a disproportionate rate. And for women in white collar jobs who were able to work from home, We ended up not getting the promotions that the men did. We fell backwards, even though we didn't have the commute, et cetera. Why Um, is that? What is it that knocked us back and held us back during the pandemic? Is it what was lacking in support in other areas? And related to that, mm -hmm. can you tell us about the Women's Health Index? I would love to. I would love to. So first of all, I would say that the statement that came out of the pandemic that for me was the woe came from Jessica Calarco, who's a sociologist, who said, what we learned in the pandemic is other countries have social safety nets and the U.S. has women. And so what I think all of I know, these are wry laughs. What I think all of us remember from the pandemic is getting on the Zoom, watching the gentleman have the meeting, getting on the Zoom and watching the kid hanging off the woman, right? And so that second shift, which already had us working so many extra hours, bled into the day. When the babysitter wasn't there, those old gender roles took place. And so there was a point in which I was talking to one journalist, and I said, I cannot read another article 
about a man who, oh, I don't have to commute so I can exercise more. Because what's happening with the women is those gender roles are taking effect and women are taking on more of the second shift during the course of the day. And that is still part of the reason why women are leaving the workforce because they're still having to find, not finding that flexibility and that give that they need. Now we, a handful of weeks ago, started to look into what the financial health of women is. We're very quantitative analytical folks over at Elevest, and we said, gosh, we're going through inflation, et cetera. Is it getting, you know, women are going back to, is it getting better or worse? We couldn't find a quantitative measure, so we made one, which is the Elevest Women's Financial Health Index. And we put in a number of the, all the factors we could think of that are indicative of her health. For example, the pay gap. For example, the percent of women who work at companies that provide family leave. For example, inflation, because that hurts everybody. It hurts women more, hurts women of color even more. Reproductive rights, that is an economic and financial issue. So the number of women entering the workforce. So we put together this index, and what we found is things were tough during the pandemic. They're actually tougher now because inflation is hitting women so hard and the rollback of reproductive rights, again, is an economic and financial issue for women. So we women, for all that, oh, we're on the move, we're gonna have more money, are getting slammed right now, and that progress is not inevitable. One thing that can help, in our view, is investing. I tend to think the job is hard, right? Because to get the raise and get the promotion, you got a lot of stuff has to happen. For example, you have to be good at your job. That takes a lot of work. You have to have a company that has budget to give you a raise. Okay, that's tough these days. You gotta have a boss who, you know, is your proponent. You got to practice your speech. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that stuff. Investing with Elevest, 15 minutes. Can you it's tell 15 us, minutes. Yes. Can you tell us how accessible it is? If you're really just getting started for someone in college or any, you know, like how yeah. easy it just to get started. So what would it take to get everybody in this room on well, board? Well, it just would be the easiest thing, for goodness sake. You go over to the Elevest app and you start clicking away. For those who are newer to investing, we've timed it. It's a 10 or 15 minute exercise if you're, if you're anybody. And in, as part of the process, we work to channel you to the right place. So if you are investing the first $5 out of every paycheck, that's a pretty quick process. If, as you go through the process, we recognize that, oh, you need some more help, we'll ha get you an appointment with a financial advisor. So we try to make it easy for folks. But I always say it is historically the highest return 15 minutes of your life. Maybe that 15 minutes when you met your spouse might have been higher return, but generally, this is it, it's right? Because the stock market, it's terrible right now. But what we do know is that before this downturn, we have recovered from every recession and we have recovered from every bear market. And that if you had put $1,000 in the stock market in the year 1900 and left it there and just let it compound and you did not touch it, we went through World War I, World War II, the Vietnam War, the Korean War, the crash of 87, the crash of 29, the internet bubble burst, the first pandemic, the second pandemic, the Great Depression, you name it, stagflation, inflation, et cetera, et cetera, and that $1,000 is today worth $56 million. And so starting early and up getting a bit out of every paycheck and allowing it to compound has historically been the driver, that in real estate, of building generational wealth. And so we'd rather have people start early than wait until I've got enough money to do it.
So you're telling me that I can start for less than this glass of wine. So if every month I'm buying handbags and things, which are good investments, by the way, could be. <laughs> so de- <laughs> done quite that well. depends on the handbag, to be it honest, does, Karen. Does. That does but, depend on the handbag. Um, if I can save one less glass of wine and get started, then it's really that easy. She just got your new ad campaign: save wine, <laughs> invest money. <laughs> I don't know if that's what I want to give up these days. I'm just going to be super duper honest with you. Okay, so why don't we switch gears? I want to hear about your founder experience. What percent of women get funding in fintech? And let's brag a little bit. You have some stellar investors. I mean, us, obviously, but also Melinda Gates, Kosla, and a number of strategics. No, we're fortunate. And one of the things I love about Elevest is that we've raised, call it $150 million. We've raised through our Series B. We still are majority funded by women and underrepresented investors. And by the way, sir, we love men. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. I uh, personally, I personally been married to a couple of men. I think they're super amazing creatures. And we're fortunate to and honored to have investors like Melinda Gates, Elaine Wynn, Venus Williams, Valerie Jarrett, Silicon Valley, Kosla, Eric Schmidt, Eric Schmidt Kosla, Rethink Ventures, Impact, and- all the good folks. But it's tough out there. You know, we sort of gloss over the, oh, women raise, women CEOs raise 4% of venture dollars or 2% of venture dollars. And we never actually stop and think about what that really means, right? It means businesses that don't get funded. It means for those businesses that do get funded, if women raise 2% of VC dollars, that means 50 times more meetings. For every meeting he has to get funded, she has 50. For every model he sends out, she sends out 50. For every stupid question he answers, she answers 50, right? That, and by the way, you don't typically get funded off of one meeting. And so this, you hear from women... Startup CEOs all the time, I had 100 meetings, I had 200 meetings, is very typical. So she's got a bar that is much higher. When you get to Series B, women raise 1% of Series B dollars. When you get to FinTech, women raise 1% of FinTech dollars. That means that women raise 1 in 10,000 Series B FinTech dollars. And think about it. Just start yelling out the names of other women's fintech CEOs who've raised their Series B. Exactly. You can count them on pretty much one hand. And so what we did, in addition to having these terrific investors, is we were going through the Series B. We realized some of the way through, this is some tough stuff. There are very few fintech women check writers at that level. And so I would go visit the gentleman and typically have a great meeting. And he would go to his investment committee and come out with something like, but what if Fidelity gets in? Now, Karen, you just went through the numbers. We can, we've got room for all kinds of competitors. And there are dozens and dozens of multi-billion dollar fintech, wealth tech, wealth management, asset management businesses serving mostly men. But that bias, that gender expectation would come through of, but what if a competitor would come in? And so we were striking out. And the way we ended up raising the money, we got the lead investor, we got the thing priced, was women like Karen, who came to us and said, I love what y'all are doing. I love the mission. I love the numbers you're putting up. What if I, you know, I don't have your minimum at a Series B, but what if I pull together 
a group of like-minded individuals in a special purpose vehicle and invest in Elevest. And then someone in that said, I'm in that SPV, what if I pull together my own special? And what if I pull together my own? And what if I pull together my own? And we found this interesting way of doing the funding between institutional and crowdfunding where we could bring in individuals like those in the room who wouldn't have the otherwise the opportunity to invest, but we could fund ourselves with like-minded individuals. And it was so interesting and different that actually the House Financial Services Committee invited me to testify about the debroification of fintech and this being a way to do it. I know, I was very nervous. I'm like, this was okay, wasn't it? What we did was okay, right? It's good, right? Because no one else has done it, but I feel it's good, right? And it was. They, I'm still walking around completely free. One of those... Everyone was a credit investor. There was a KYC yeah. process, yeah. so... And then we even got to invite you to this podcast after. As a- Hi, everyone. I'd like to take a moment to dive deeper into one of the more jarring things we learned about today through our conversation with Kelly. And I want to talk about it with our sponsor and Elvest investor, Kelly Ann Winget of AWP. So Kelly, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really enjoying the conversation. We're enjoying the conversation as well, and we're excited to hear your thoughts on parts of it. So you and I had a chance to sort of break down so one thing that Sally said that truly disturbed us, which was the fact that the women in executive seats is actually declining in numbers instead of increasing as the world would have expected it to. So out of curiosity, what do you think is broken about the funnel in women in leadership positions? Well, the problem is universal. Um, however, the solutions that we're creating are siloed, and that's really stunting our ability to grow. For example, it's not as simple as getting money into women's hands. Like to Sally's point earlier, women executives have been dropping like flies from the workforce post-pandemic. And that's because the pressures to work from home with the responsibilities of family and households almost always falls into the lap of women. And they're expected to drop everything they're doing to take care of everyone else. So we need to invest in the wraparound support of women uh, that helps shift this dynamic as well as getting money into the hands of female founders themselves. I could not agree more. I, I, I feel that way as a woman founder myself. So out of curiosity, you know, since this is, this is the choir you are preaching to, mm-hmm. how are you endeavoring to solve this problem with alternative wealth partners? Well, AWP is investing in holistic solutions to universal problems. Alternatives are really the only vehicle that allows capital to get into the hands of disruptors. And we really believe in empowering the solution of a problem by investing in it at every angles, either through mentorship or through financing and funding people changing the world. Thank you. Really interesting stuff. Thank you. I mean, I could talk about it all day. (laughs) Well, maybe we will have you on an episode to do that one of these days very soon. Looking forward to it. I hope you're enjoying the content so far. I would like to thank our sponsors, Alternative Wealth Partners, and their CEO and founder, Kellyanne Winget, for bringing you today's episode. Stay tuned for the end of this podcast, where Kellyanne Winget, an investor in Elvest, will provide an investor's perspective on some of the points made today. I 
am very interested in the way that you have both identified that women-led businesses are performing better and women have all of this untapped opportunity, this market that hasn't been touched. And so one of the reasons Karen and I originally started this podcast was because we were really excited about the people pioneering bravely new incentive structures that made people behave better. There's not a lot of examples in history of that happening. And I think for a long time, we've been very self-incentivized. Like, I think we're all fascinated with people like Alexander Hamilton, who were able to build leverage finance to incentivize an economy away from agriculture and slavery and into manufacturing and immigration. And we don't have a lot of heroes like that. But suddenly, recently, I think the world has started to become overbearingly difficult and problematic. Our problems are becoming so big that we have to do something. And so I'm really excited about all these pioneers we're yeah. finally seeing, like you, that are incentivizing better behavior. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you are both marrying the concept of having positive impact and better outcomes mm -hmm. in the market? Yeah, there, there is, by the way, as we think about the direction the world is going, it probably shouldn't be a surprise to anybody when I said women have got that, you know, 30 cents of wealth to every dollar that a man has, that women donate to politicians about $1 for every $3 that he donates. And I think we can imagine a world in which women had more money and then were donating to politicians who best represented those women. In fact, I would go so far as to say, again, I love men. I feel like men have had their chance. Don't you? I feel like they've been at it for hundreds of years, and I feel like this is where we are, and could you step aside for like a minute and see what else can happen? And I'm obviously serious, right? I saw it from, you know, the financial crisis. I was at the table. I was the only woman at the table at Citigroup when that was happening, and what I saw was groupthink as a result that drove the company and therefore not just the U.S. economy, but the global economy into what was becoming a complete meltdown. And I think we would all agree that if you think about those trading floors with all the men on them and all the research, and there is real research on testosterone and risk-taking, that if we'd had half women, I don't think any of us think the financial crisis would have been worse. There's no way. And yet the industry in the years after the financial crisis became less diverse not more diverse. And so for us, the wedge is money. That if we can help women build wealth, then we will give more money to the nonprofits that we care about. There's research today. Women are more likely to believe in the dangers of climate change and are more likely to give money to combat climate change. We see it across, you know, sort of everything, that if women have that money, they're going to put it in their communities, etc. And so that's the thin wedge that we're working on at Elevest. But the part that we have to also change, and we mentioned it earlier, is how we think about money. That we step into that power, that we laugh in the face of media who tells us we're bad with money, and really stand firm for our daughters and our sons to see us using our money for good. We believe at Elevest that you can have a positive impact and have a good return that our chief investment officer, Dr. Kwan, looks at all investments with a financial return I first and a social or impact return I second. But what we find, because you've seen the research, women businesses outperform male-only you know, male run businesses. Women are stewards of capital. 
that you know using a gender lens to invest can lead to superior returns and we see it again and again and by the way I'll make a side note everybody here is an impact investor everybody you just don't know the impact you're having everybody here is a gender lens investor you're just investing in 98% men right so what we look to do is Take that impact and be very intentional about it. In fact, that's why we call it the Elevest Intentional Impact Portfolio. Very intentional about what we're doing and look to get those superior returns that the research tells us are there. We feel that there is this notion that doing good for the world means that you're sacrificing money in your pocket. Yes, yes. Well, that fin the financial advisor who tells you that, tell him the 1990s wants their investment advice. Tell <laughs> yeah. him he's not as creative no. as a woman. No, it's just, it's the old saw, you know, in the investing industry. And there's been a, a sort of backlash against ESG or sustainable investing that's happening right now. I think that some of that is people who are sort of tensed up because we're in a bear market, right? And so like, I can't, Listen to that. I can't hear it. But there is no reason why a company that does something good for the climate should underperform something, you know, a company that's destroying the climate. The research tells you that women CEOs, lower risk, greater innovation, higher returns. There's no reason that gets thrown out the window. You even say that men get more conservative with their with age and women become more activists and a little bit more of pioneers as they get older. Well, that wasn't me. That was Gloria Steinem. But I do appreciate it. They talk about people tend to get more conservative as they get older, but that's men. Women, we start out, you see it for professional women. I've seen it again and again. We start out in our 20s like... I remember when I was in my 20s and I went to Wall Street and I'm like, yeah, I know my mom was like a woman's liber, mom, you're such a dork. That, you know, it's all taken care of. My generation of women are vibrant and going places and smart and aggressive. This is all going to change. It's a pipeline issue. So that's our 20s. We get into our 30s. We go into a fugue state. We have the first kid, you know, we get married, we have the first kid, we get the pet, you got the second kid, the marriage is on the rocks, you got the bad boss, you got the parents, you got the friends, you got the carpool, the this, that. Then in your mid-40s, end of your 40s, the kids go to school, you shoot out of the fugue state, you look around, you're like, where the F are all the other women? And then you're like, March! And the women in their 20s, the women in their 20s, like, you hold hag, you know? Like, my generation is amazing and we're going to make it. First of all, I just will raise my hand. I will march anywhere on anything now. I'm at that stage of I cannot believe that I am in my 50s and I was so optimistic in my 20s and that not that much has changed. Not that much has changed. And I just refuse to sit by and watch the train go by and have my daughter, who's now in her 20s, get to her 50s and be like, that, not that much has changed. And so this is what I can do. I don't know what you can do. I don't know what you can do. What I can do is my life's work is investing and for us to help women invest across the generations to grow their wealth, therefore to grow their power, therefore to change this country. That is how I know how to be an activist. Amazing. Hard to follow that up. Really quickly, I want to also appreciate the men in this room because I think oftentimes we talk about men and they also... 
it's, there's one type. This guy in the front row is like, I can't even believe this is happening to me. <laughs> there's a persona of males mm-hmm. that get personified in our media, and they're person- the same way a certain persona of women. And I have to say, there's a lot of amazing men. All of my first investors were men. I thought they were going to be women, and it turned out to be men. And actually... A lot of men who are allies came to so I think we have to change the narrative Love on it. that. Love it. Can we show a hand of the males here who are investors? In Ele- in, overall or in Elevest? In Elevest and Woo. overall. So there's some here. How many of you are single, by the way? I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> okay, now we can move on. I just had to do that as a short plug. <laughs> so I, total, I totally, totally agree. What I would say is almost every gathering I go to, Somebody asked the question, which is a great, you know, very valid, good question of how do we get the men involved? How do we get the men to care about this? My answer to that, we go through all the different ways, the men here leading, et cetera. But my main point typically is we cannot wait for them, right? That we have got the power to make this change ourselves. And typically no one cares about as much of a cause, cares about a cause as much as those who are directly impacted from it. Now, I will say where we do see men really step into it is when their daughters get to be a certain age. It's when their daughters get to be in their 20s and are in the workforce, and then they call me. They say, well, you give her a job because this ain't working. Um, And it's that point at which they say, I'm already seeing the difference between my son and my daughter, and let's get her investing, and let's get her at a company that has women at, at the senior level rather than make her fight that fight. P.S. All those early investors, I didn't find out till later, they all had daughters. Yeah, interesting. So we yeah. need more daughters. <laughs> the daughter makes the apple of his eye makes a difference for sure. So let's go into future forecasting. Today it is October twenty fourth, twenty twenty two. Let's imagine it's October twenty fourth, twenty twenty three. Okay. A year from now. Okay. What are the three most amazing things that have happened to you? Be professional, personal, whatever. What amazing things will happen? Well. I don't know if it's amazing, but it would be great if the market were recovering. I think that would make all of us feel happier and better, even though we all know today that we are buying investments at a discount and they're on sale, and that historically when you bought during the depths of a bear market, you always looked at it, it was so obvious in hindsight what happened, but hopefully we've got people investing today, doubling and tripling down, and in a year, I don't know the will be fully recovered, but it would be nice if we were, you know, continuing to recover. And I hope in a year we have more women funded, not just at the seed in Series A, which is important, but through to the Series B, where there's still that Series B cliff for women. So everybody get your cups out and get ready for the blood on the street to fill them with, to invest. Wow. <laughs> okay. That was the advice I just got from you. That's what I heard between the lines. I, okay. So now we are, we are looking at this in a zoomed out way. So you and I and Karen are sitting on the rooftop somewhere. We're cheersing champagne 10 years from now. And you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this happened. I'm so happy the past 10 years took place. What happened? Yeah, we went public. I would love... I. I would really love for Elevest to be a publicly traded company worth multiple billions of dollars, as so many companies, fintech companies that serve mostly men are. I want to see our mission get bigger and more and more women, all of you, your daughters, your sons, participating in the creation of wealth. 
Great. So what we want to do is turn it to a little bit of Q&A, and then we'll wrap up. Hi, Sally and team. Thank you. My name is Natalie Nixon, founder of Figure Eight Thinking. I have a couple of questions. My first is, what if the financial services follow the model of tech and normalized investing for girls as we have Girls Can Code and Black Girls Code and that sort of thing? What if there was that sort of model? And to follow up on that, what are ways to normalize financial literacy for girls at younger and younger ages? Great question. I am actually talking to, we're talking to a number of organizations about doing exactly that because there's been the move into tech, but not as much into investing or math, quite frankly. And so getting to her young, talking to one um, organization about doing books for young girls um, where investing, being in charge of your money is seen as, as pretty cool. Our school systems are letting our kids down when it comes to personal finance. We're sitting here in Manhattan. It wasn't that long ago that my son was in high school, middle school, high school, in New York City. He took a frigging woodworking class. <laughs> he can whittle wood like frigging Jed Clampett. But can he do his taxes? But he cannot do his taxes, nor does he understand you know, credit cards, budgeting, et cetera. So our schools are really doing a disservice, not every school, but a lot of our schools are still doing a disservice. So we need to take personal finance into the schools at a young age. And again, like, do you even remember what calculus is? Because I, like, I don't even know. But personal finance being its own class, you know, all the way through, I think is really the secret. I think it has such a broader dynamic impact on the rest of society, as we think about asset allocators, as you brought up, because of the structural issues that you talked about, the pay gap, the wealth gap, asset allocation, even femtech is a new industry. Some of our biggest problems have been underserved because women haven't, female-focused healthcare companies haven't been focused on until recently. We have so far to go. 100%. You look at Silicon Valley, again, where women are raising just a single-digit percent of funding, and you look at what's getting funded, one more food delivery company, right? Another scooter company, right? <laughs> you know, and they're out of favor now. But you, you look at where the real needs are and where the funding has been going. And if we can get more money to women, by defini- almost by definition, those companies will solve the problems that women face. And again, we've got this weird thing that goes on in this country where four women is viewed as junior varsity. But these businesses, these opportunities are huge huge and can increase the productivity and the quality of life for women and therefore for their families. Do we have any more questions in the room before I ask one last question? Yeah. Thank you for sharing your experience. So I'm a CEO of Good Point. It's a social media platform for social impacts. I also was in FinTech for five years before. So currently we are working with a lot of activists. They are majority women doing great work for us, but what we do, our business model is not really making money and wealth. We, it's impact, how to measure the impact, how to create a like, framework on making it work. The back time was my FinTech experience is about money. You mentioned earlier before is, I saw your website has mentioned a lot of people investing social impacts portfolio. So how do you balance between the wealth, like generating money, then the social impacts impact? I think they go hand in hand. And we try to have that impact at every step along the way. So I mentioned earlier, even after Series B, we are majority women-owned. We want to give those women a return. 
The company itself, we're about 80% women, about 50% people of color, helping women invest often in other women. And we're finding that we're not giving up returns by investing in women. We are delivering superior returns. Dr. Sylvia Kwan, our chief investment officer, we were talking earlier, when we started Elevest, you know, really wanted to get that money directly in women's hands through privates. And I'm like, oh, you know, my experience with privates had been hedge funds and private equity and the traditional alts. But what she's doing is so differentiated and so different from anything else out there. And she's proving out her thesis of it as a diversifier. But what's been surprising to me is how those social returns goes hand in hand with the financial returns. Okay, I have a question for the audience, yeah. and then we can close it out after this. Raise your hand if you are interested in investing in a woman-led business. Okay. If you are That's a about everyone. <laughs> so female entrepreneurs, look around this room. This is a room full of women look and men and other allies of all kinds looking to invest in female-led businesses. Make sure after this you all meet each other and talk about that because if you don't, then what Sally has talked about today won't take place. Thank you to Karen and Rachel, to your support of Elevest and to your leadership as well. Both of you are really modeling the kind of behavior that will make the change we want to see in the world. So thank you both. Thank you for letting us in. Yeah, thank you for coming. So one last thing, we just wanted to thank, this podcast is going to be produced in a couple of weeks. This is a live podcast recording, some of it might be edited, but we wanted to thank some of our partners, definitely So House is a So House membership event. This was cool to actually broaden it to the creative industries, which we think is incredibly important. I was an art school dropout, Rachel was into art. And so I was like, art major, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really important. And also our editor, Ben. Ben Maroney. Vikram. And so we have a lot of people to thank. And Sal. Sally, thank you so much for your time. We know you're very busy. Thank you for everyone for joining us today. Thank you for So House. We will be having more events with really awesome speakers, and we just want to share that with everyone. So don't want to hold you from cocktails. Thanks again. Thank you. What an amazing episode. These stories and conversations from disruptors and changemakers helps open our mind to how a better world can look. Alternative Wealth Partners is proud and persistent and investing in companies like Elevest. Not only am I a, a longtime fangirl of Sally Krawcheck and her commitment to stand firmly in front of the bowl, but because I believe that our, it is our responsibility to harness our power, to pull ourselves up by the horns and charge forward on the bowl as our vehicle instead of facing it as an obstacle. Hi everyone, this is your host, Rachel Voss. Each episode of Control-Alt-Default will have a section where we explore new technologies and operating systems in action. For today's episode, we're exploring AI, quite relevantly, I might add. Our partners, Late Arrivals, have teamed up with us to use AI technology to listen to our conversation with Sally Krawcheck today and generate unique pieces of AI-generated digital art for each of you listeners to request and get upon demand. We have 200 pieces for the first 200 listeners who like our page on Instagram and request through direct message one of these unique pieces of art. Each piece of art will be unique to the person who requests it, and you can do whatever you'd like with it, but eventually we will add benefits that these pieces of art will be able to get you, including access to events, the ability to ask specific questions to speakers, and other new unique benefits along the way. So make sure you come follow our page and request a piece of AI-generated art. 
Late Arrivals, thank you so much for making this possible. They are a AI film and media company based in LA. They generate AI multi multimedia, AI workflows for film productions, and design immersive AI web experiences. They're working radically to reduce the cost of independent filmmaking through AI generative solutions. Thank you also so much to Ben Maroney, our sound and editor at Interlock and Associates for making this episode possible. We're really appreciative of all the work you've done with us along the way. And finally, thank you so much to our sponsors at Alternative Wealth Partners and for supporting women at large.